What's up gamers and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And in this episode, prepare for a weekend getaway to a remote island where we will have to survive a murder hotel full of traps designed to kill us while also being stalked by a madman in my review of The Devil in Me. Lonnet Entertainment. Charles Lonnet, please. Speaking. My name is Grantham Demet. I'm in a privileged position. What do we know about this guy? He's rich, he's a recluse, he's obsessed with H.H. Holmes. Totally sane, I'm sure. Some of the rooms are full recreations from the murder cast. Guys? Is that you? There's a ton of killer footage to be had here. My time is at a premium. We need to do this today. What the f*** is this? Oh my god! Are you shooting any of us? No one is going to believe it without proof. Wait, no, no, no! Go no on, please! What happened? What the? Go! What is this? It's a fucking movie trap. I've told you what I have. Please don't waste my time. Before we jump into the details of this game's story, let's take a few minutes to talk about some details that you may not have known about the game or its developer in The Breakdown. Before the Dark Pictures anthology, there was Until Dawn, the first game by Supermassive that really tapped into the cinematic horror genre. And as the crew at Supermassive was in a movie theater looking at the final touches of Until Dawn, the CEO of the company, Pete Samuels, was sitting there already outlining a, at the time, an ambitious idea, one that was to have a series or an anthology of games all interconnected, approaching different subgenres of horror. And what was, at the time, an ambitious idea very quickly turned into an actuality. With the backing of publisher Namco Bandai, and pretty soon Tom Heaton, was in the director's chair for the first Dark Pictures anthology game, Man of Medan, a subgenre of horror looking into the ghost ship. Well, he is also the director on the last title of the Dark Pictures anthologies, Season 1, The Devil and Me, the game we're here to talk about. And as we look back at Season 1, we look at the different subgenres that the Dark Pictures has already tackled, and the ghost ship story of Man of Medan, the psychological ghost horror of a New England town and a little hope, the vampiric creatures under the desert and House of Ashes, and now just the sadistic serial killer saw kind of vibes that we get from The Devil and Me. I absolutely cannot wait to start Season 2 
of the Dark Pictures Anthology, and that will be with sci-fi horror being the next subgenre that we get to experience in the title, Directive 8020. Now let's go check out the story for The Devil in Me. The year is 1893, and we are in Chicago at the World's Fair. And just down the street from this actual fair, there's a hotel, which aptly is called the World's Fair Hotel. And as we begin our game, we see the two newlyweds that we're going to be introduced to, Jeff and Marie, walking down the city block, very excited that they're on their honeymoon and they're about to start their lives together. And as they come around the corner, they get into the hotel where they have decided to spend their honeymoon, unfortunately, because as they go in, there's not a single person at all in the lobby, nobody working, not a single soul. So as they try to sign in there at the registry, they're dinging the bell to get the attention of anybody who may be working the desk. Eventually, a man randomly appears quite suddenly and uh, introduces himself as H.H. Holmes, who is the proprietor of the hotel. And says that he will take care of them gladly. Now, you can clearly see from the beginning this guy is a little bit off his rocker. And something is not quite right here. He's just kind of acting a little bit weird. So as Marie and Jeff continue to search around the lobby area, Marie gets a few things for some toiletries for the bathroom and whatnot. Some bath soap is what I had chosen. They end up going to their rooms and Holmes says he'll take care of their bags and brings them to their room and gets them settled in. Well, things very quickly escalate as we very, very quickly are introduced to what kind of person that H.H. Holmes is and the whole premise behind and inspiration behind this game, which is the fact that H.H. Holmes is America's first, quote unquote, serial killer. Now, as the game begins and the prologue ends, we flash forward to present day, and we are introduced to a group of documentary filmmakers who are honestly struggling. And as they're sitting around and they're kind of debating back and forth with each other if this is really what they want to do with their lives, the heart and soul of this team is the director, the main guy who's really keeping this thing going and alive. And he's the one with the passion that wants to keep things going, right? He doesn't care how much it takes. He believes that this is going to work. His name is Charlie Lonnett, and he's been really attempting to break out in the industry for many, many years now, and he's kind of getting up in age, and it's at that point where he is looking for just anything at this point to get his company to that next level. Well, he does have a reporter, Kate Wilder, who is actually the face of the TV show because the rest of the documentary team, they're all the behind-the-scenes folks who do the lighting or hold the boom mic and do the editing and so on and so forth. Well, these are really kind of the main two protagonists. You play as five different characters throughout the course of the game, but these are the main two that really kind of I felt the story tried to revolve itself around or prioritize. And when it comes to the beginning of the game and we see these characters kind of in a last-ditch effort scenario with this dream of breaking it big into the industry, and as we see the beginning of the game start to unfold, Charlie gets a phone call, a very weird phone call. It's from a potential job offer, and this person is basically saying, hey, look, I've seen your work before. You guys have done episodes and shows about serial killers. And I have this island where I have recreated 
to every little last minute detail the murder house or murder hotel of H.H. Holmes. This guy's a fanatic of H.H. Holmes. Kind of weird, but Charlie is offered by this man on the phone to bring his crew out to his personal isolated island where he has built this hotel and to spend the weekend filming a documentary series out there. Kind of, for the most part, have a a, a run of the land or the island to themselves to kind of do what they would like again, with some limitations, within and around the grounds of the hotel. Charlie honestly pretty much jumps right at the opportunity because he can't see why they wouldn't do this. And it seems like an opportunity of a lifetime, seems like the perfect job and the perfect content and the perfect opportunity to get them into the limelight and break into the business. So after discussing it with the rest of the crew, uh, ultimately, I would say somewhat reluctantly, they all kind of agree, all right, this is kind of our last hurrah. If this doesn't work out, then sorry, Charlie, but we're going to have to look for something else, something more reliable as far as an income is concerned. And Charlie, I mean, he's gung-ho. He's all about it. He has confidence this is going to work. So the man on the other end of the phone has said that you have to answer now and you have to act immediately. I am sending a car to this location a limousine that will pick you up and bring you to the ferry dock, and then you'll take the ferry to my island. I will have a representative of mine that I will send to pick you up, and that is all you will interact with, and I will see you once you get to the island. So all, again, kind of weird. Everybody gets together in the car. We take the ferry. We meet his representative, who also seems kind of out of sorts, and ultimately make it to the island. Now, As things unfold on the island, I'm not going to go into the details of what exactly transpires because these Dark Pictures games are absolutely very heavy and involved with, obviously, the story and the choices that you make as the player throughout the course of that story. I'm just going to say that the basic plot line that is there throughout the entirety of the game, depending on no matter what decisions you make and who lives, who dies, because the whole premise of the Dark Pictures games, it's always... Let's see if I can make it to the end of the game with all of these characters alive, or as many as possible is what it really ends up for for me. I always start out intending and wanting everybody to survive, but it never fails for me. Somebody always ends up getting it. Well, in this game, the story is basically that. That's the basic setup for it. But as you go through the island, the exterior environments of it, as well as the interior environments of the hotel and other surrounding areas... There's a lot actually here, and I was impressed because I knew going into the game that it was supposed to be a bit longer than the other Dark Pictures games, but supposedly not as quite as long as The Quarry, which is another game by developer Supermassive. This game was a lot more involved than any other Dark Pictures for sure, and I loved it for that. There is a ton of story to absorb here, and there are so many different ways to do it. Obviously, you have your typical newspaper clippings, uh, police files, letters people have left around, uh, different, just all kinds of documents that you can find. There are also these flashback tape recordings that are also really awesome. They are essentially interrogation tapes between a detective or different detectives and police officers with a serial killer from a couple of decades ago. And the serial killer took inspiration from H.H. Holmes and Man, there is just a lot of different story that unfolds. It's almost like a second or third story that unfold in the background through these tapes. And I loved it. That's one thing I've loved about these Dark Pictures games is 
Supermassive always seems to try to and, and do a pretty good job of it, of interweaving multiple different timelines and storylines that were there for you to absorb and kind of see like the whole history of this game world they've created for this typically shorter experience because most of these games you can finish and I would say five to six hours except for this one this one we'll get to the chronometer later in the episode and I'll tell you how long I spent on it but as far as the story is concerned I loved it I personally am a little biased probably here because I already before this game had a certain interest in H.H. Holmes not a weird one mind you but one that I just know I'm interested in the psychology of serial killers and I've seen documentaries myself on H.H. Holmes and the murder hotel. And it was really cool to see that played out in this game. And I thought the Supermassive did an amazing job of really executing this story. And it wasn't just about the story of survival of these characters. It's never just about that in the dark pictures games. It's also, there's always some kind of drama or previous storyline that's been going on with these characters sometimes between themselves other times it may just be their solo lives that they have inner demons they've been struggling with or any number of things but there's always more going on with these characters than just hey these are the five bodies that you got to try to get to the end of the game there is a lot more than that going on here and there's a lot of that that bled into the gameplay that i'll get into a bit later in the review as far as certain people's emotions or how they handle certain situations. I just thought that it was a really well laid out story. And from beginning to end, I was absolutely entranced by it and could not wait to get my next interrogation tape or document or letter or newspaper clipping that was left around the hotel or different areas around the island. It was just an awesome, awesome story or multiple stories that were on hand here for you to absorb. So excellent, excellent job with the story. Now let's go see what my thoughts were on the graphics and sound. As we take a look at graphics and sound and the devil and me, I'm going to start out with the graphics. And just to kind of give a perspective for you listeners, I am going to say that I was playing the game on an Xbox Series X while using a LG OLED C1 TV. Now, when it comes to whether it's fidelity modes or uh, performance modes, I always go for the fidelity. I love seeing the 4K visuals, the ray tracing, the variable refresh rate. I love seeing all those aspects at play when it comes to the visuals. And when we speak visuals and the devil in me, first I'm going to start with the character models. And I got to tell you, just like every single super massive game that I have ever played, going all the way back to the PS4s until dawn, they do an absolutely amazing job, arguably the greatest job of replicating a human being in a digital form. I don't think that I have ever seen better looking character models in a game until honestly, maybe recently in the Callisto Protocol. But these character models are absolutely insanely detailed. They look just like the actors that are portraying them. And that's the thing that's so crazy about it is starting again with Hayden Penetary and Until Dawn. There are just so many different instances where you look at every single game Supermassive has put out and every character in their games is just basically a mirror image of their real life counterpart. It's no different here in The Devil and Me. Every character is perfectly modeled. The lip syncing and the animations are extremely well done. Maybe a little hiccup here and there with some of the, the lip syncing, but not enough to really make it an issue for me. 
And as far as the animations when the characters are walking around the environment or if there are different cutscenes, I never really noticed any kind of stiffness or anything like that. They moved very fluidly, very realistically. So from a character model standpoint, I mean, it's top notch here when it comes to this game. Now, as far as the environments, when we switch over to the environments and talk about the visuals that they brought to the table, it was very, very well done. I will say that I don't think that the environments, at least the exterior environments, so we'll talk about that. There's exterior environments and interior environments, a lot more exterior than what I had expected going into this game, because obviously being a game that is all about the murder hotel, my assumption was that it was going to be taking place in the hotel, maybe some basement levels, things of that nature. But I did not expect to the level of quantity, I guess I should say, of exterior environments that there was on hand here. And given the fact that it is set on an isolated island, I guess I should have, you know, really took that into consideration before playing the game. But I'm glad I didn't because it was a nice surprise. The exterior environments of the island, there's going to be some forested areas as well as just some beachy areas when you first arrive on the island. And as you explore, there's different nature trails and things like that. And look, don't get me wrong. These visuals, all these environments, they all looked really, really solid. But I did not think they were as amazing, per se, as the character models. But when specifically speaking of environments... I felt like the interior environments had the upper hand here. But those exterior environments, I mean, look, the rivers, the oceans in the distance, the waterfalls in certain areas, grass, trees, leaves, all that stuff, it still looked really, really good. And it wasn't like it was glaringly different where you have these amazing-looking character models and kind of, uh, yeah, I don't know, environments. So it was very well done still. But those interior environments are what really impressed me and the level of detail in those environments. And what I mean is, say you're walking through that murder hotel. I mean, every single layer of detail is not missed. It is there. I mean, you look at the different bookcases and tables and furnishings and you go into the mini bar of the hotel. You go into the different underground areas, as I mentioned before. There are different the boiler rooms and all the different death trap rooms and Ah, oh, man, there is just extreme amounts of detail laid out throughout the entirety of this hotel. And it's many other extending connected environments that you explore. So overall, I just absolutely loved the visuals as a whole package. And I mean, if you're playing on a Series X or even a PS5, I'm sure, I mean, you got the visuals and the TV to put out the visuals, you will not be disappointed. But one more detail of visuals that is very important when it comes to survival horror games, especially, is the lighting. And one thing the Dark Pictures games, in my opinion, have struggled with in past games have been the lighting. Now, if you want my detailed thoughts, I do have a review out there on this channel for Little Hope, as well as House of Ashes. And what I mean by having struggled in the past... When it came to dark spaces, especially in the first two games and this season of the Dark Pictures, Man of Medan and Little Hope, I felt like the dark areas, the environments, it was just way too dark and almost in some situations uh, impossible to see what was in front of you, even with the form of light that the game gives you. And in those games, depending on where you're at, it could either be a flashlight or a phone that had a flashlight option on it, a match, a torch, whatever the case may be. 
I did feel that as the series has progressed, they've gotten a little bit better with each game, and that was definitely the case with House of Ashes, which before this I thought was the better of the series. I will say that in The Devil and Me, the lighting is at its best for what Supermassive has done within the Dark Pictures anthology. I would say even on par with what they did in The Quarry, which is not a Dark Pictures game, but still one in the same exact style and developed by Supermassive. I also have a review for it if you'd like to check it out as well. But much improved lighting here. You have your light sources via, again, the same ones I mentioned prior, flashlights, lighters, matches, and the flashlight option on your phone or on the character's cell phones. So overall, I definitely think it's a great thing that Supermassive has continued to fine-tune the lighting in their games and are pretty much at the right spot where they need to be in in this latest entry. Now let's move on to the sound in the game. And as we look and listen at the sound, I got to say these super massive games, all of them, Dark Pictures, Until Dawn, The Quarry, they all, in my opinion, always have excellent voice acting for most of the characters in the game. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I feel like in every single one of their games, there's always at least one character or therefore actor who just uh, is not really doing that great of a job, especially compared to the other characters within a scene or in the game as a whole. I didn't really have that in this game. It's the first super massive game that I've played that I actually did not really cringe when certain characters came on screen and had some dialogue exchange with the character that I was playing at the time. So overall, I thought it was a very solid voice acting delivery for every character and then when we look at the music that the game has i mean it's got a, a great orchestral score these games always do a great job of course there's the dark pictures anthology theme song that you get to enjoy at the beginning of every dark pictures game but as far as the music as you're exploring the island or whether it's inside the murder hotel or it's other expanded areas around it the music is great and the game does a great job of allowing the music to kind of set the pacing of the environment and of the location in the game that you're in. So if you are, say, in an exterior hedge maze and you're just trying to explore and find things and figure your way out, it's a very quiet, subtle background, kind of exploratory, but also scary music, if you will, because you want to keep that tension going for the player, and they do a good job of that. And when the moments ramp up, and they really want to get you going, they definitely do that as well. Jump scares are really well done with some massive out-of-nowhere out crescendos, and they just do a really good job consistently throughout the course of the game. And as far as the basic sound effects are concerned, I really couldn't have asked for anything other than what we got. I thought that they were pretty solid. There was nothing that sounded... Sometimes you get games that have sound effects that are just kind of... They almost sound out of place when the sound is in action, but that was not the case here. Everything fit, everything was functional and responsive to what was going on on screen. So overall, very solid sound as well. But when it comes to, if you play with a headset on the Xbox version of games that I play and review, I use the Lucid Sound headset. So in this next segment, we're gonna discuss is the experience when playing The Devil and Me with the Lucid Sound headset. Does that make it a lucid experience, or would you might as well be asleep? When using a lucid sound headset, or any comparable headset for that matter, 
Does that set your experience apart in The Devil and Me? Will you have a more immersive, terrifying experience by wearing that headset than you would if you were just, say, taking your sound in via the TV speakers or a sound bar? Well, it's not to discredit either of those two, but I will say that absolutely, yes, it will be a lucid experience for you to wear a very good headset when playing this game. Now, I did alternate between the use of a soundbar and the Lucid Sound headset, and I did enjoy what I experienced the soundbar, but I got to tell you, this kind of a game, and most survival horror games, if not all of them, they definitely deserve to be played wearing a headset because it's all about building tension and scares. And I mean, sometimes you'll hear things that you wouldn't otherwise hear via a soundbar or TV speakers or hear what the directionality of sound, like it's coming from the left or the right or behind you. And that actually happens when wearing the lucid sound headset in this game. And I got to tell you, there was more than a few times where I was pretty on nerve about what was going on in the game and where I was at and just, man, that those slow build moments, the violins and other instruments that really raise that tension with the music. Or if you hear footsteps from the hallway in front of you, but there's just mostly darkness because, say, the electricity went out in the hotel and all you have is the light that is from your phone and that you can just barely see in front of you. Or... The best part, and I'll talk about this feature more in the gameplay segment, is one of the characters is the sound designer and the editor for the show, and she actually walks around with a headset and a microphone, and she can hear certain sounds that the typical normal human ear can't pick up. And I got to tell you, that is just awesome <laughs> when you're using your own headset during those sequences. Ooh, man, I tell you, talk about some nervousness and some tension. That's some good stuff right there. So I would highly recommend playing this game wearing your best version of the Lucid Sound headset. If you're on PS5 and you have the 3D Pulse headset, I'm sure it's just as, if not more amazing. Bottom line is wearing the Lucid Sound headset a lucid experience or would you might as well be asleep? In this case, absolutely a lucid experience. Now let's go check out the game's controls. As we look at the controls in The Devil and Me, I just want to reiterate that I am playing on an Xbox Series X, so therefore using a Series X branded or stylized controller. The one that you would normally get that's officially licensed from Xbox. It was actually the Lunar Shift controller that I chose to play through The Devil and Me with. Excellent choice with the rubberized grips and whatnot on the handles. But as far as Devil and Me specifically is concerned, it is a third-person perspective game. And the character movement is where I'm going to start. And typically in third-person games, your left analog stick is for your character and your right analog stick is for your camera. Well, in The Devil and Me and with all the Dark Pictures games, they all are a fixed camera system. Meaning, you do not control the camera just about at all. I mean, there are basically very minimal amounts of direction and left, right, up, down directions that you can move the camera in, but it's really the right analog stick is not intended for that camera control. It is really more so intended for your light source control. And that can make for some interesting perspectives and allow the developers to be more cinematic with the way that the certain scenes and locations and environments are presented. So I understand why Supermassive 
does these games in that way. So I didn't really have any issues with the lighting control this time, I will say, because in the past Dark Pictures games, and even in the Quarry, there has always been, it's one of those things that I've talked about already in this review, where there are multiple things that the Dark Pictures games started out being very rough in a design sense, from Man of Medan, and then every successive game after that, they've gotten a little bit better. And this is another one of those things where, thankfully, I feel they've gotten just a little bit better with, and at this point, probably perfected using that right analog stick for your light source. I don't really see it being much better than where it's at, and that's not to say it's bad. Because used to, what it was is you would try to move the right analog stick around to shine your flashlight in the direction you want to see in, and it would be way too loose and just kind of go all over the place or just move very quickly when you were trying to do a slow pan of the area or a desk that's in a dark room that you want to see what's on the desk and if there's anything that you can interact with. Well, now at The Devil and Me, it's actually very much tightly controlled to where I felt more than ever before that I actually had good, solid control over where the light source was aiming. Now, when it comes to the character movement and the left analog stick, these characters always are very, very stiffly controlled and tightly controlled, and that's a catch-22. It's a good thing that it's very stiff, tightly controlled characters because of the way the fixed camera is, because it would be it just wouldn't work if you had a free-roaming character in a fixed camera game. It just it doesn't work functionally. So I understand, again, why these characters are designed in the way that they are from a control perspective. I, again, feel like they have done a much better job with those characters to move a lot more smoother than the original entries or previous entries that may have come before, I would say, House of Ashes. So Man of Medan and Little Hope are a little bit rougher than what we got in these last two games as far as the dark pictures are concerned. And in this game, it, it definitely is, again, the pinnacle of what the series has done so far. And I didn't really have any issues. Of course, there are some times where the analog stick almost kind of... When you're trying to move or turn the character around, you ever see those reels on Instagram where it's, hey, this is Resident Evil 2 in real life. <laughs> and it's the real life person trying to mimic the stiff movements of Leon Kennedy and the RPD or anything like that. This is exactly the kind of look that you can expect when sometimes you get stuck into a corner or an environment and you're trying to turn the character around. It's one of those kind of things. So just think about the Instagram reels when you're in those minor brief moments. Again, to me, it wasn't anything to break the game, but I did feel that it was worth mentioning in this review. Now, your A button on the Xbox is what you use to interact with items in the environment, as well as what's new to this game, vaulting over obstacles and climbing ledges or different things of that nature. You can also interact with items in the environment to pull towards an uh, unreachable area that you can now climb up to that area, that second level of a library, say, for instance. You pull a bookcase out and climb up there. You just basically use the A button to interact and to climb and to push forward on that analog stick, the left one as well. And QTEs in this game, quick timer events for the uninitiated, they are, again, the absolute best that Supermassive has done so far in the Dark Pictures anthology. Going all the way back to Man of Medan, and honestly, I think that, ironically enough, the second entry, Little Hope, was the worst as far as quick timer events are concerned. 
man, they did not give you any kind of break whatsoever. It was way too quick, almost impossible sometimes, I felt like, to have a fair shot at getting the quick timer event pulled off and accurately like you're supposed to. I won't say that it's a cakewalk and the devil in me, but I will say that it seems like it's it's expertly balanced at this point. They've found that nice balance between challenge and fairness, and I love that about this game. I don't necessarily know that there was any quick timer events that I missed this time around, which is again, not to say that there is a lack of challenge there because I know that's the whole purpose of the quick timer event and especially in a game like this where if you mess up, it could mean the death of the character that you're controlling or one that's with you at the time. There is when it comes to sprinting. This is a newer feature in the game that previous games have not had as an option and it does work pretty nicely in this game. I think that a sprint option is definitely a viable one to have in these games and they use it to good effect. I mean, in other games, it was mostly cutscenes that you would see your characters running and you would have to do a quick timer event. Whereas now there's some moments where you actually have to control the character sprinting. And I think that, in my personal opinion, is more panicky or a heightened sense of fear than just waiting for a quick timer event, at least in my personal opinion. So, and one final new addition that I will mention is the fact that you can jump in this game and it's pretty basic. I mean, it's you walk up to the gap that you're trying to clear and you press the X button or the A button and you jump across. <laughs> that's a that's about it. I'll get into the the deeper meanings or aspects of jumping and how it integrates into the gameplay in the next segment. Overall, I thought the controls were definitely the best of the series so far and they've made improvements. There's still some minor areas for improvement here or there, but overall Pretty decent controls when it comes to this style of game. Now, let's go look at those details and all the new additions to the series when it comes to the gameplay. As we begin to dive into the gameplay features that you can expect to find when playing The Devil and Me, first let me just reiterate and remind you that we are playing this game from a third-person point of view. And ultimately, this game is all about surviving. Every Dark Pictures game, every super massive game for that matter, is all about surviving. The premise is basically always similar. You might have more people to control than the last game or the next game, but in The Devil and Me, you have five survivors, or who you hope to be survivors, at the end of the game. So there is a way where you can have all five if you make the right choices and you are quick on your toes with quick timer events and whatnot. You can have all five of these characters survive as the credits roll. Or you could also have none of them survive and any amount in between. So that's one thing that I always love about these games all the way back to Until Dawn is just that intensity level, at least for me, where it's the entire game up until I lose that first character I'm always like nah man this is it this is going to be the game that I actually make it to the end with all of my characters alive but without fail unfortunately about halfway through every super massive game I always end up losing my first character and inevitably every single game I've ever played of super massive I have always lost two characters no matter the total amount of characters that you can play as or the irresponsible for it's always two for some reason it was no different here in the devil and me but regardless you are tasked with staying alive mostly by decisions that you make in tense situations 
and through dialogue choices that you are given all throughout the course of the game. It could be things along the line of, hey, there's this wall that's closing in on a certain character and you have the ability to either press a button to push the wall back to a character on the other side of the moving wall or not touch the button at all and see what happens. Do you lose one character, both characters, or neither character in that scenario? You got to play the game and find out. So it's situations like that where you make decisions. And then there's also dialogue choices that could affect your relationships with the characters that you're interacting with. And the reason why you want to pay attention to what those dialogue choices are is if you have a bad relationship with someone, they're probably not going to, if the decision is left up to the computer based on your dialogue choices and relationship status with that character up to that point, If you have had a a bad go of it, so to speak, with that character, there's a possibility they could be like, you know what? I don't like this person. I'm not going to save them. I'm not going to potentially sacrifice myself to save their life. But if you've made the right dialogue choices and you've maintained a positive relationship with another character, then it could be the exact opposite. They could either be willing to sacrifice themselves for you or maybe there is something that they do or will go out of character for in order to try to save you and you both get away with your lives. It really just depends scenario to scenario. And that's one thing I love about these games is just the, the whole unknown of it all. You really don't know until you're in the moment of what you're really going to do. And the delivery of the character development throughout the course of the game is, is very crucial. And I talked about that in the story segment. It allows you as the player to get to know these characters and, and form some kind of a, connection to them or not to where maybe you don't care if a certain character lives or maybe you really want a certain character to survive. But when it comes to surviving, it's not just about the decisions that you make and the dialogue choices that are also chosen. It's also very heavily involved with quick timer events or QTEs. Now they are spread throughout the story. I would say they're pretty, they're very evenly spaced out in this game And I would say they were also the least amount of quick timer events that I've seen so far in a Dark Pictures game. And that's a good thing, in my opinion, because I felt with going all the way back to Man of Medan, there were an excessive amount of QTEs and there was too much reliance on getting from point A to B being about surviving or being successful with a quick timer event. And then, obviously, the next step, as I mentioned earlier, was Little Hope. And it was just the timing was way unfair and and skewed to where you you really, as a player, didn't have what I considered a fair opportunity to try to hit that button prompt within the specified time. But when it comes to the devil and me, I felt like there were a limited number of quick timer events and they were perfectly paced and spaced throughout the course of the game. So I didn't feel like it ever was, man, these are getting old, man. Like I've done way too many of these. And again, I thought they were the most balanced from a challenge standpoint, not being overly challenging and not being too easy to wear off. I'm not going to miss a quick timer event, but I will say that all of these things happen as you explore a 3d environment And that 3D environment, of course, consists of the murder hotel that I've referenced many a times. Of course, that's the highlight or the main focus of the game. But it also is surrounded by those forested areas and other locations that are around the island that I mentioned earlier. And as you explore, there's going to be puzzles and other obstacles that are in your way that you're going to have to solve and 
navigate or figure out how to navigate around. And some of those puzzles and obstacles, they do introduce some new gameplay features to the Dark Pictures series. That was a one reason why I was so excited to get to this game finally is because having played all the other Dark Pictures games, all the other supermassive games, to finally have a game where it looks like they were adding gameplay options to this formula I thought was very exciting for me. And to start out with, the first thing they added was an inventory system. And games past all of them, there was no such thing as an inventory. You literally just kind of interacted with what you needed to in a given moment, or if you did pick up a new item, it was something that you actively equipped and then you used for that next sequence, if you will. But in this game, you actually have a genuine inventory system where there are items that you pick up, you can combine, you can use them later on or multiple times throughout the course of a sequence. And I mean, nine times out of 10, they're intended for puzzle solving purposes but it's the fact that it adds an extra layer of gameplay variety to the game as opposed to just feeling like what most of these previous games have felt like which is you're just controlling a movie you know you have certain sequences of a movie where you actually control and you make the decisions but this is it's starting to feel more like a game in that sense if that makes sense and that's in my opinion a very good thing now i've always loved what supermassive has done before I want to clarify and make sure to say that, but I'm also loving that they are adding extra layers of gameplay options to these games. So the inventory system is just one new addition to this formula. Another one that I thought was really interesting and a lot of fun that I feel super massive had some fun with in development were character abilities. So all five characters in this game have unique abilities unto themselves that you only are going to obviously need to use those abilities when you're controlling that character. But it's still, again, it kind of broke up that monotony or that repetitiveness of the, the basic gameplay formula that's been there now for this is the fourth game in the series. So the fact is, what I'm talking about, for instance, I referenced the one character of the reporter earlier in the story segment, and she actually has this crystal, this rock crystal, that you find out in the course of play is actually a calming crystal for her. She can basically get to a point where she's having panic attacks, and the crystal is a method of calming for her. Well, this works out perfect in certain sequences in the game where if you're familiar with this series, you know there are many times where you're going to have to go and hide somewhere, and somebody will be stalking you in the room, and there's a heartbeat monitor that'll come across and you have to press the buttons and the rhythm with the heartbeat, and if you mess up, you get caught. Well, for this character specifically, if you are opting to hold on to or if you opted to take the crystal with her at the beginning of a section, then you have that in your possession and you have the option. It'll pop up an icon on your screen if you want to use the crystal or not, and that can dictate the outcome of a scene because... For instance, she could use the crystal and it could calm her down enough to where the heartbeat rhythm is not going to be too fast to where you can't keep up with it or at least heightened enough to where it's going to be like, oh, wow, now as the player, I'm panicking because this is going a lot quicker than what I want it to. Or if you use the crystal, she'll be a lot calmer and the heartbeat rhythm will be a lot slower, therefore a lot easier for you to make it through the sequence. So that is one example. Another example I had mentioned earlier was the sound editor for the documentary crew that you're controlling. There are sequences, and in my opinion, the scariest sequences are when you control her 
And she is walking around with headphones and a microphone. And there are certain sounds that she can pick up with that microphone that the naked ear will not pick up. And I got to tell you, when the lights go out in the murder hotel and you're walking around its hallways with nothing but a cell phone flashlight and these headphones on with the microphone guiding you with the sounds and you're hearing all kinds of creepy stuff. And certain sequences, maybe you hear this sobbing, crying woman and ah. Let me just say, there's some really creepy moments that I loved that were with this gameplay character ability. Now, there's so many different things. I mean, there's one character that I thought was kind of like a giveaway or a you know, throwaway ability where he can use one of those kind of a grab claws to uh, reach up and grab things at a high distance. That Basically, there's going to be a few moments where when you control him, you have to use that uh, item to reach another interactable item that's on the top of a bookshelf or something like that. So I thought that was kind of a weak one, but you get the idea. Each character has its own ability and some are better than others, but I definitely thought the calming crystal and the audio with the microphone and the headset were the best. And they were still really cool because in super massive games before, they didn't have character abilities. So this is very exciting for me at the end of season one, Potentially looking at season two, the different options that we can expect to see or expanding of this gameplay style. And I can't wait to see more. Overall, the gameplay and the devil in me, I thought was the tightest and the most varied and the most well paced of all of the Dark Pictures games. And I would even say probably of all the super massive games I have played so far, it definitely is up there and vying for contention of my favorite super massive game, which if you didn't know right now, before I give you the review score, uh, as of going into this game, it was the quarry. So before we get to the review score, though, how about we check at the ship's chronometer to see how long it took me to beat the game, as well as how long it may take you to beat the game based on your play style. When looking at how long it took me to complete the devil in me... It was actually quite a bit longer than the previous Dark Pictures anthology games. Now, I will say that I expected this going into the game as Supermassive did put out there, hey, this game is going to be longer than the previous Dark Pictures games, but it's not going to be as long as The Quarry. Well, for me, the other Dark Pictures games, I beat Man of Medan in five and a half hours, and then the next two, Little Hope and House of Ashes, right at around six hours. The Quarry was right at ten hours. So I'm expecting to be somewhere right in the middle, around 8 hours. Well, gamers, I actually ended up with just over 11 hours completing the game. And that was actually longer than what I had spent with the quarry. So for me, it was actually the longest out of all of them. Now, I will say that is my personal play style. I may have spent more time investigating or just exploring and looking around the rooms and areas. I mean, I was extremely thorough with what I was looking for over the course of the game because you can track the collectibles, the documents and the tapes and all different kinds of things. And what's really frustrating to me is I ended the game out of a hundred collectibles. I only missed three. And that was extremely frustrating because I was right to the very, very end of the game. I was down to the wire. I said, Oh man, I only got four left. Oh, I only got three left. And I'm right here at the very end. There better be some more documents. And there wasn't. 
So either way, I didn't finish the game with all the collectibles, but man, it felt good to get that many just on my own. So my point is, I spent a lot of time looking around and scouring the environments for anything and everything. So for me, just over 11 hours. Now, if you're looking to just play through the game and just get the story out of it and you're not really worried about collectibles or anything like that, I would say you probably could beat the game in roughly five hours or so. If you were interested in the game's story, but also exploring a little bit along your way and just kind of reading things that you come across but not actively seeking them out, you'd probably land somewhere in the middle, probably closer to six, seven, eight hours. But if you were a true completionist and you are wanting to get that platinum trophy on PlayStation or all thousand G on the Xbox, I would say you are probably looking at closer to 15-ish hours because you're going to have to play through the game multiple times. It may even be 15 to 20 hours when it's all said and done with. Because in order for you to unlock all the achievements or trophies, complete it in order for you to unlock all these different possible endings and character deaths or choices that you didn't make the first time that now you go back and make the second or third or fourth time that it unlocks a trophy to make that choice. Things like that. So... At its least, you could probably finish it up in about six hours or so. At its most, you're probably looking at closer to 15 to 20. Now, let's go find out what my final thoughts and review score are. As I look back over The Devil and Me as a whole experience, I gotta say I was very, very excited to get to the game and very pleased with what I walked away experiencing. As I said, Maybe a little biased there because I was a big fan of and knowledgeable of H.H. H. Holmes and the Murder Hotel and the actual history behind it. So that kind of added to the experience for me. But purely objectively, though, from a gameplay standpoint, from a graphics and sound standpoint, everything was on par and top notch and I think super massive at the top of its abilities. The only kind of hiccups that I would say that I came into contact with were in the controls department, and that's always the case in Supermassive's games, I would say. Even though this game is the most refined out of them, I would still say that that stiffness of character movement and getting stuck on certain objects or furniture in the environment or things of that nature, there are still those things that happen. And I feel like if they just added some polish to really... Honestly, when it comes down to the character movement, I think if they really, truly look at how they can maximize character movement within that fixed camera setting, I think they will be good. But they also need to kind of take a look at the camera, which could also get in the way sometimes. But overall, it was a very solid experience and one that I thoroughly enjoyed. And I would say if you've played the other Dark Pictures games or any supermassive game, Until Dawn, The Quarry, or if you just like fun horror games, this is definitely one to check out. And I would say that my final review score will be an 8 out of 10. That'll do it for my review of The Devil and Me. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by reaching out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com, as well as searching for Hulking Yoda on the Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch networks. You can also find me on Instagram at lostatseagaming, as well as on Twitter at lostatseagamin, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.